This week on The Elucidators, we're hitting three topics of note across the world of international relations. First off, the Russians claim to have won the race to a coronavirus vaccine, but they may have cut a few important corners on the way to first place. Second, in a predictable but still shockingly fast development, Hong Kong has used its new national security law to issue arrest warrants for six activists based in Western countries, including a lobbyist who has been a United States citizen for nearly 25 years. And finally, we'll discuss President Trump's threat to ban the explosively popular social media app TikTok from the United States for its connections to the Chinese Communist Party if it doesn't sell to Microsoft or another major U.S. corporation in the next 45 days. Okie doke, let's get elucidating. And welcome to another episode of The Elucidators. As always, I am your host, Steve Pally, and with me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Pete Newsom. How's it hanging, bro? It's hanging okay, Steve. How's it hanging with you, dude? I'm chilling. I'm chilling. Uh, I got, uh, we got a missive from uh, Facebook this week that I wanted to talk about. Paul from Bolivia mm. dropped us a line on Facebook, and he told us that we did a quote-unquote Pretty decent job on our Bolivia episode last year, where we had our good friend, Professor Jesse Acevedo, lending us his, his expertise after the, the coup event in, in Bolivia. Yeah, he said, we did a pretty decent job at wrapping everything up concisely in 30 minutes and with pretty good accuracy, especially considering coverage from afar of a developing situation. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, wanted to shout that out. A little fan mail there. He and a friend have started a dual language podcast last year called Bolivia Political Crossroads to discuss the political situation in Bolivia. So you should give that a listen if you're interested. We're always happy to cross promote folks who write in with their podcasts, uh, especially if they're about international relations like this one is. Just tell us we did a decent job and we'll do whatever you want. At least pretty decent. And from there, we'll promote you just that much more, right? Make us a decent proposal and we're yeah. down. <laughs> or pretty good, even. Or indecent, in Steve's case, sounds yeah, like. indecent. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, Paul. And thanks for writing in. Any and all listeners, uh, we love you guys. Please write us. We're so lonely. The Elucidators, all one word, at gmail.com. Ask us questions, give us compliments, chew us out, whatever you want. Or hit us up on Facebook. I monitor that channel as well. Mm. So Pete... We have decided to do things a little bit differently this week. We're changing things up. After 50 shows, we've done 50 shows, we're going to do things a little bit differently, see how it goes. Instead of doing one deep dive into a particular topic, which is what we usually do, we're going to do a grab bag. We're going to do three shorter stories. Three shallow dives. Yeah, but hopefully we'll make a medium dives so you can scoop up a a pearl of knowledge here and there <laughs> to share at your uh, socially distant cocktail parties or what have That's you. That's right. In this case, three beautiful pearls of knowledge. That's right. And we'll just run through those pearls. We have one from Russia, we have one from Hong Kong, and we have one from the United States. So without any further ado, our first story involves Russia's COVID-19 vaccine slash 
vaccine in quotes. I'm making air quotes. You can't see it. Dude, Russia has a COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, it's very early in the game to have a functional vaccine, right? Yeah, here's what they're saying. So Russia's health minister has claimed that the Gamaleya Institute, a state research facility in Moscow, has completed clinical trials of the vaccine. How do you complete clinical trials when you need three phases and the last one usually takes like... I'll get into it. First, we're, we're going to listen to some bragging from our, our Russian friends. <laughs> so Kirill Dmitriev, head of Russia's Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is apparently involved in funding <laughs> this vaccine development, has said, it's a Sputnik moment. Wow. Referring to the successful 1957 launch of the world's first satellite by the Soviet Union, which famously shook up the United States and the Western world because we were still working on our satellite and they beat us to the punch, the Soviets. Uh, we thought they were you know, over there peeling potatoes, but they were launching satellites. Kirill says Americans were surprised when they heard Sputnik's beeping. It's the same with this vaccine. Russia will have got there first. Salty. So... What is that beeping? He's like, we heard the beeping of Sputnik. All it did was broadcast a signal that was a beep. Oh, okay. Yeah, to prove that it was in orbit, I guess, um, because otherwise there would have been no way to listen to it on the other side of the Earth. Got it. So that was the proof. And I suppose you could look at it through a telescope too. So we heard that beeping and we realized things were not as they appeared. We needed to get things moving. And perhaps this vaccine is the same story. Perhaps. So the plan is that doctors will be vaccinated first with the Russian vaccine, and then mass vaccinations will begin in October, supposedly. October. We're in August. Yeah. So two months from now, they're saying they're going, this guy's saying they're going to vaccinate their whole population. That is a tight timeline, which prompts us to ask, is this for real? So Pete, you mentioned that there are three stages of vaccine trials. Mm -hmm. Right. There's the super early stage where we just see whether or not the vaccine generates an immune response. There's second stage trials where you expand the tests uh, to make sure that uh, it's safe <laughs> and it doesn't mm -hmm. generate adverse reactions or infect people. And then there's stage three trials, which is where you sign up usually tens of thousands of people and randomly assign half of them the vaccine candidate and half of them a placebo. And then you wait for months to see whether or not they get infected at differential rates. Got it. This usually takes four to six months to do this correctly. In addition, this is a way to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that the vaccine is safe because those tens of thousands of people, usually around 30,000, will be taking all different kinds of pharmaceuticals they will have all different kinds of pre-existing conditions and so on and so forth. It's just a much larger sample size than the phase two. Yeah, much larger. Yeah, and you can't, you can't bypass or speed up that phase and still be confident in the results, or you shouldn't. You shouldn't, but guess what? Russia has skipped stage three trials altogether. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, nope, we're not doing it. <laughs> They're planning to do a, a phase three trial on their entire population, it sounds exactly. like. Yeah, that's, that's really more uh, phase four. <laughs> They're going from two to four. That's not how counting works. So we're going to see how this works out. So the vaccine developers say that they have tested it on military personnel, in, into the dozens of military personnel, 
which does not have very much statistical power. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> put it that way. And themselves, they they injected themselves. This guy, Kirill Dmitriev, injected himself and his family with okay. this vaccine candidate. <laughs> well, send it, send it my way. It sounds safe. Yeah, hook me up. <laughs> yeah. Russia has not released any scientific data on this, but says it will do so in early August. That's cool. That's where we are. So it'll be very interesting to see that data. Uh-huh. Any day now. And I'm sure that the data will be complete and not falsified. <laughs> so Dr. Anthony Fauci, the U.S.'s top infectious disease expert, said during a House COVID-19 subcommittee hearing last Friday that the U.S. would likely not use vaccines developed in China or Russia. Interesting. Yeah. His direct quote was, I do hope that the Chinese and the Russians are actually testing the vaccine before they are administering it to anyone. Claims of having a vaccine ready to distribute before you do testing, I think, is problematic at best. I love Dr. Fauci. He has such a command of the understatement. <laughs> and he has to in his job. Note that President Trump has demanded an accelerated timeline for our own vaccine development, so-called Operation Warp Speed here in the United States. So he's actually standing right in the middle of uh, a similar process. Another master of understatement. Yes, indeed. It's interesting that he lumped the Chinese in with the Russians. I would expect this sort of chicanery from the Russians, perhaps, because they're famously good at disinformation and lying. The Chinese, though, have, you know, <laughs> not at first, but eventually took the virus pretty seriously. Um, and it seems to me that they would not want to skip phase three trials of their own vaccine candidate. In fact, I believe that they have a vaccine candidate or two in phase three trials right now. So it could be reading between the lines that Fauci is saying that he will not condone the use of a Chinese vaccine that has been tested on, for instance, uh, Muslim Uyghur prisoners held in Xinjiang uh, concentration camps. Mm -hmm. So making a human rights statement. Yeah, something along those lines. One could maybe speculate that he's also just acknowledging that Trump is unlikely to sign on to the first vaccine that's used in the U.S. coming from China, just based on his stance towards that country. Yeah, given that he has said that it, uh, we're dealing with the Chinese virus. Yeah, it wouldn't look great for the storyline he's trying to spin. If it was yeah. like, they gave us the virus and then they gave us the vaccine. That would, that would be pretty humiliating. We need a good old American know-how to produce a vaccine at warp speed that hopefully doesn't infect and kill people. <laughs> Uh, right, right. <laughs> in right. large numbers. Back to Russia. We've noted on the show before that Russia has had a pretty difficult time with COVID-19 to the tune of 850,000 cases and about 15,000 deaths reported. But international watchdogs and journalists su suggest this is a radical undercount. <laughs> hmm. And the totals are actually much higher. But Russia is, has been in the top four or five affected countries overall in the entire world especially earlier in the, in the pandemic. And on top of this, we know that Putin could really use some good news right now, even though he just won a referendum to stay in power indefinitely. Yeah, it still doesn't hurt to be popular. When you have to hold on to that power with an iron grip and always be concerned about uprisings, it's different. Yes. People uh, are glad you're there. Exactly. Uh, some people are glad he's there. Uh, not all of them, especially given uh, the fact that he's gotten low marks 
for his handling of the virus from the public because basically Russia was not prepared. And the economy is sinking fast, especially with low energy prices, which we also did a show on with our friend, Professor Pasha Madhavi, who is a energy expert, explaining why the oil market crashed. It's because nobody is driving. And Russia is a petrostate. They depend on energy exports. So that has been bad for the Russian economy. In addition, at the moment, protests are raging in the far east of the country against the government's arrest of a popular provincial governor on a 15-year-old murder charge that is apparently super dubious. And so people have been out on the streets for weeks now, tens of thousands of people out in Siberia. And this is just kind of like a festering wound. And obviously, the Russian authorities have responded to protests in Moscow very decisively and effectively, not so much in Siberia. Yeah, you know it's serious when people are going outside in Siberia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it is August, but even Yeah, so. I don't know what it's like this time of year. I shouldn't act like I know what's up in Siberia weather-wise, but... <laughs> yeah, Pete. <laughs> when was the last time you got sent to the gulag in Siberia? <laughs> and on top of this, the US, UK, and Canada have alleged that Russian hackers have attempted to steal vaccine research from private labs in the last few months which is strange behavior for a country that is supposedly way out in front in the vaccine race. Yeah, that doesn't back their story up very well. No, I guess they're just trying to make absolutely sure that they arrive first by scrambling everybody else's research. That must be it. (laughs) So, yeah, totally. I guess one possibility is that they're going to inject the majority of their population with something, whether it's effective or not, in October. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean... Best case scenario, the absolute best case scenario is they actually have hit upon the right thing and this works really well. Nobody gets sick and they can distribute it everywhere. That would be awesome. And I would certainly condone that. Uh, Second best scenario is that they have faked this whole thing and inject everybody with saline solution. Right. The worst scenario (laughs) is that they've botched this and inject people anyway and sicken and kill who knows how many. They inject active COVID into people. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Not so deactivated COVID-19 coronavirus. I have to think that Putin's probably smarter than that. But who knows? I guess we're going to find out. Check back in October. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Story two. Pete, you want to read the headline for this one? Absolutely. So story two, Hong Kong has issued arrest warrants for international activists outside of Hong Kong. Mm. including a U.S. citizen. Ooh, These arrest warrants are issued under the new national security law that we've talked about recently. That's kind of a a McNasty, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. So who are these people? They are six pro-democracy activists around the world. We're looking at someone named Samuel Chu, who is a U.S. citizen who has lived in the U.S. for decades. He is the manager of something called the Hong Kong Democracy Council, in which role he lobbies the U.S. government to put pressure on China over Hong Kong repression. Got it. I would imagine that the Chinese are fairly sensitive in that area. And to have a Hong Konger hang out in Washington, D.C., you know, basically making noise would rankle them, I would imagine. They're rankled. And he even tweeted, we are all Hong Kongers now, after the warrant was issued for his arrest. Right. So there's some other people as well. There's a person named Nathan Law, who is a former Hong Kong lawmaker who recently fled to London. Mm. In response to the arrest warrant, 
he has publicly cut himself off from his family who remain in Hong Kong. Yeah, he said, henceforth, I will have no contact or communication with my family to protect them, which is sad. I mean, that's terrible. Brutally sad thing to have to do to protect your family. Right. Another person who was targeted with a warrant is Simon Chang. Simon Chang, if I recall, he was a pro-democracy activist who worked for a bank or in the financial sector in Hong Mm -hmm. Kong. He said, I've done nothing that betrays my conscience. It's all for the public well-being and out of my care for fellow Hong Kong public. Mm -hmm. If they say I'm a secessionist, was Sun Yat-sen a secessionist? Mm -hmm. Was Mao Zedong a secessionist? Right. So Sun Yat-sen being uh, the founder of the short-lived Chinese Republic at the start of the 20th century. He was a revolutionary. Mo Zedong, obviously very famous revolutionary who founded the Chinese Communist Party and led it to victory in the Chinese Civil War following World War II. So he is referencing very famous Chinese historical figures from not super recent history, but every Chinese person knows these names. From the last century, yeah. That's right. So as noted in an earlier episode that we did, This new law criminalizes secession, subversion, terrorism, and foreign interference, and it applies to offenses committed, quotes, outside the region by foreigners who are not residents of Hong Kong or China. So we're seeing it. They're moving fast is what they're doing, because it has only been, what, four weeks since that law hit the books. Samuel Chu is a U.S. citizen, lived in the U.S. for decades. Like, what do you think it means? Like, is there any likelihood that... China will pursue like going to arrest these people in person. That seems like a pretty dramatic, that would be a somewhat dramatic escalation beyond just saying there's a warrant out for your arrest. I don't think they can do that. However, we know that Chinese intelligence is active in the United States and elsewhere. I guess it's possible that they could run some sort of operation where they like snatch and grab these people uh, and return them to China. It's not unprecedented. The Israelis have done that with, for instance, Nazi war criminals in Argentina, places like that. That's right. Note that the United States has actually indicted foreign citizens, not necessarily along these lines, but in in violation of U.S. laws. Most recently, Robert Mueller indicted 12 Russian intelligence officers for election meddling in, I believe, 2018 as part of his investigation. And so the Chinese can and probably will point to that and say, well, you you indict foreign citizens all the time and demand their extradition. Like, we're just going to do the same thing you're doing, even though there are some obvious differences between the cases here. <laughs> right. In, in the case of Mueller, I'm assuming he laid out some very egregious actual like crimes on paper. Whereas, oh, yeah. I don't know if you've read the, real, the Mueller report, but they very much had the goods on these guys. As far as the charges from the Chinese government against these people, I guess we don't know exactly what the charges are, but they're vague. And they could come down to, we just don't like what you're saying. I think that's exactly what they come down to. You know, just looking at what the 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 law says, foreign interference is one of the the four no's, right? Along with secession, subversion, terrorism. So this would be foreign interference and subversion, I would imagine. And advocating secession <laughs> is what they yeah. would say. It doesn't really matter. They can call it whatever they want to call it. They just want mm-hmm. to shut these people up and scare everybody else. Yeah. So that's, you know, 
kind of troubling in Hong Kong. And in addition, this comes after uh, Carrie Lam just suspended elections for Hong Kong Legislative Council, which is their semi-democratic local governing body for one year, claiming that COVID-19 makes it too dangerous. Of course, there is a COVID-19 outbreak in Hong Kong right now, but hey, we in the United States have been voting all along in the middle of one of the world's worst outbreaks, <laughs> well, That's right. like it or not. There's a lot of voting by mail, but there's a lot of going to the polling places too in state and local elections. I don't think this excuse washes. I think it's it's all the piece, right? And on top of that, Hong Kong's lead prosecutor of their formerly independent judiciary resigned last week, saying that he has been sidelined from the new national security law. So the dominoes, they Lots are of things are happening very quickly. Yeah, this is basically what we anticipated all along, right? Absolutely. Possibly even faster than anyone anticipated, but certainly in practice. Yeah, in good time. <laughs> yeah. So the US, the UK, and Australia, and Germany mm. have all suspended extradition treaties with Hong Kong. So these activists should be safe for now. Although we know that, as you said earlier, Chinese agents have been active in the US and the UK. So who can exactly predict what, what might happen? Yeah, I would imagine that these countries are all increasingly suspicious of the Chinese and their counterintelligence are working to locate those Chinese agents and figure out what they're doing. Insofar as we're basically in a state of Cold War with China at this point, <laughs> if not there, then most of the way there, uh, we're going to start seeing spy games, cloak and dagger type stuff on both sides. And this is just the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. Cold War type stuff. The third news item in our grab bag is related to what we we're just talking about. Yeah. So this item takes place on the mobile internet, on your phone, on your app store, in that U.S. President Donald Trump said last week that he intended to ban TikTok from the United States, claiming that it is a national security threat. Pete, what is TikTok? <laughs> For our listeners who may not know. Steve, I was really hoping that I could punt that one to you, man. Okay. Uh, no, I. so it's... It's an app on which short videos are made and displayed. Correct. There's a <laughs> lot of sort of stop motion dancing, I guess is the best way to put it. A lot of pop and lock, a lot of just Gen Zers doing funny stuff. Yeah, a lot of videos about anything you can imagine, tutorials about stuff, even like political statements and like explainers. But I think that the length of the videos is like are all under 30 seconds or something. I'm not sure, but they're pretty quick. All I know is the Elucidators is your source for TikTok news. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're rebranding to be a TikTok-only podcast. You can find us not on TikTok. Search us under our new name. Two, Two guys, guys who get TikTok. <laughs> yeah, we get it almost as well as Donald Trump. So he's saying that TikTok is a national security threat because it is owned by a Chinese firm, a large Chinese firm called ByteDance. And it has been accused of sharing user data with the Chinese Communist Party. The data, supposedly, any Chinese company is required to cooperate with the Chinese Communist Party when the party asks them for anything. Basically, they have to do business with the party. So this is not necessarily an unreasonable concern. Uh, in addition, it's accused or 
uh, suspected of conducting influence operations on behalf of the Chinese government and the Communist Party, because this is such a powerful new social network that so many young Americans are obsessed with, it actually controls a major cultural center of gravity. Not unlike, for instance, the Russians using Facebook and Twitter in the 2016 election. I think the Trump administration is worried about that, and not just him, also various people in Congress. And finally, it's been accused of censoring content to satisfy censors in Beijing. So anything pro-Hong Kong independence, for instance, uh, does not usually show up on TikTok. TikTok, for its part, has said that all of its U.S. operations are controlled solely from the U.S., all of the data is held in the U.S., and they do not and would not cooperate with the Chinese government. That's what they're saying. All of that said, India just banned TikTok from its app stores, and Australia is considering a ban as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's actually not just the United States, and it's not just Trump. It's both parties, and it's several other countries. It's an international stance or concern. Of course, India is something of a unique case in that they're having this territorial war with China. Absolutely. Yeah. In the, in the Himalayas. And, and so they're trying to hit them from a business perspective as well. Yeah. Or, or, you know, just safeguard their data. They don't want their data on party servers in Beijing, Good. getting data mined. So what's TikTok doing as a reaction to this threat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's made a bunch of concessions. Basically, the Chinese founder of ByteDance, this guy is Zhang Yiming, he's a Chinese multi-billionaire startup guy, has said, okay, I'll sell my stake in, in, in uh, TikTok. That didn't wash with the administration. TikTok then said, uh, we'll hire another 10,000 Americans over the next three years. Yeah. Uh, they currently employ, I guess, 1,500. So uh-huh. that's, yeah, that's a, that's a big increase in, in American jobs. Right. Wasn't enough. They said, we'll devote a billion dollars to like a creative fund for, for TikTok creators. They're pulling a lot of rabbits out of the hat, basically, mm-hmm. to, to try to make Trump happy. Right, but not addressing the data storage issue. No, uh, or the, the other issues. Like the, the, the main issue being the suspicion of Chinese control, right? And right. particularly Communist Party control. So it looks like there might be a fix to this situation that is acceptable to the Trump administration. Mm, what is that? Microsoft is looking at acquiring TikTok. Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer, Microsoft Word. Yeah, that obscure little tech company, Microsoft. That's the one. They're interested in acquiring TikTok, and they believe that maybe this was the Trump administration's goal to try and you know get a U.S. company to acquire TikTok. Mm-hmm. And Trump is sort of vacillated on, as he does, on whether this was something he was in favor of or not. And it looks like when all was said and done, he has given his blessing to Microsoft purchasing TikTok from ByteDance. So what are the terms of that deal? Right. We don't know yet. He has said that the clock is ticking. (laughs) And they have until, what is it, September 15th to do a deal. And on top of this, he has said that the United States will require a cut of any deal from China or Microsoft or both in order for this to go through. What is that? That, that is uh, what we in the business might call a shakedown and has no basis in law or fact in the United States. When the United States government 
is dealing at arm's length with two private companies that it has no interest in, supposedly. But wow. he has said, yeah, no, the United States made this deal possible by requiring it. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to go ahead and take some off the top. <laughs> that sounds pretty much like mob tactics. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen. It's It's just, at the same time, hilarious and terrible. And uh, also, I think uh, we've seen this before from the president, stuff like this, just wanting to get paid (laughs) Mm -hmm. all the time. (laughs) As long as you're in office, you got to get paid, man. So in terms of banning the app, should this deal not go through in time or at all? It's not Mm -hmm. clear whether or not he could actually do this. Although national security provisions for banning companies and forcing divestments meaning forcing foreign companies to sell assets like TikTok, do exist. So one example is Huawei, which is the Chinese telco telco giant that makes 5G equipment that the United States has banned from the United States. And the UK is in the process of banning from the UK because people are worried that that hardware is full of backdoors that will be exploited by the Chinese Communist Party. In addition... A Chinese company bought the, I guess, popular gay dating app Grinder, but that purchase was reversed by the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, which has the ability to prevent foreign companies from acquiring American assets for national security reasons. Okay, and I believe that committee has as its head the U.S. Treasury Secretary. Yes, Mnuchin. Manukin. Manukin. Is a Trump loyalist. Indeed. And I believe also members of the military sit on that committee. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting group. But yeah, it's, uh, I think, senators, Treasury Department, military, intelligence, and and so on. And none of them wanted Grindr under Chinese control. None of them. Yeah. No, Grindr should be independent. And so that's one route, is sort of the national security route through the Committee on Foreign Investment. He could also potentially sanction Apple and Google for carrying TikTok on their app stores through the same mechanism that we sanction like German banks for doing business in Iran and violating mm-hmm. sanctions, right? But that would be, I think, a lot harder to do and more legally tenuous. It would be the necessary path, wouldn't it, if they really wanted to enforce a ban? Because the U.S. doesn't have centralized control over the internet or mobile tech. Like That's right. Nothing analogous to the Great Firewall of China. No, nor what India has. India, I guess, has a central router where they can just like chop off IPs to various apps. Right. And, you know, I think Australia does as well. Yeah, Australia does too. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. So these are democracies and allies that are, have either done this or are looking at it carefully. Of course, any action would prompt a legal fight and would take time. So again, I think we're looking for a win-win-win here. The outcome that that all parties might want the most, other than the Chinese Communist Party, (laughs) might be a sale of TikTok to Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft gets like the fastest growing social network, which they could really use because some of their acquisitions in the last few years haven't really panned out super well. Yeah. They've done okay with Minecraft and LinkedIn, but TikTok would be an entirely different thing. Uh-huh. It would put them in the game as far as social networks go in a way yeah. they haven't ever been. 
And of course, ByteDance would get a lot of money mm-hmm. and the US government would feel better about where that data was going. Yep. It's going to Microsoft. We, we feel good about Microsoft. They weren't even invited to the congressional hearings last, <laughs> last week. So they That's must right. be cool, right? They already went through their antitrust stuff in the 90s. So they're all good now. Year 2000 <laughs> or whatever it was. They- yeah, quite a while ago. A couple of facts about TikTok and why this is such a big deal. They already have 100 million users in the United States. If you're an old like us, you may not know this, but like if you are age 24 or under, you definitely know about TikTok and are probably using TikTok right now instead of listening to this show. (laughs) It is not yet profitable, but it is the fastest growing social network in history, including Facebook and Instagram. It's it's beaten both of them with their wow. with its growth trajectory in the United States. It has experienced 500% growth in the last 18 months and it is privately valued at somewhere between 20 and 50 billion dollars and climbing. So that's what Microsoft would be paying for it? Yeah. Well, hard to say. Like this is obviously this is a sale under duress. So right. I would imagine that they will not sell for the full amount. <laughs> I think Facebook bought Instagram for 17 billion. Does that sound right? It does not. Facebook bought Instagram for $1 billion. For $1 billion. Correct. And at that time, that was mind boggling. Yeah. Someone spending that amount of money on an app. Don't mess with the Zuck, man. The Zuck knows his business. His business is Monopoly. <laughs> He's good at it. Uh huh. I think there's probably some 25 uh, year olds who are coming here for just extra news about TikTok beyond what they already know, don't you? <laughs> I hope so. We're definitely putting TikTok in the in the uh, show show name and show notes to get that sweet, sweet search engine goodness. Before we sign off, though, what are some of the political implications of, of this situation, this crazy situation? Well, one crazy thing is that learning that TikTok might go away <laughs> has motivated a bunch of teenagers to possibly vote in this presidential election. Yeah, they freaked out. It's a huge deal to them, and it might motivate a lot of teens to vote and young people to vote who weren't going to vote at all before this. Yeah, 18-year-olds generally don't vote at all or in in low numbers. Uh, They don't turn out unless they have an issue that is firing them up. This could do it because it's a really important source of community during a very difficult time for young people. the middle of a pandemic mm-hmm. where they can't go out and party, or at least they're not supposed to. In any case, they're doing a lot less of it. And I, I feel for them. They need their TikTok, you know? And there's also a funny story about what happened to Trump's Tulsa rally in June involving TikTok, right? There is, and I'm not certain exactly what the details are, but it's basically that you could reserve tickets to this rally in mm-hmm. Tulsa, this Trump rally online, And I guess on TikTok, teens were like communicating about this and how you could reserve a ticket and artificially inflate the number of people who were predicted to come to this rally. Correct. That's what they did. They fooled the Trump campaign into thinking that like, however many thousands of people were going to show up and many fewer than that actually did show up. Yeah. They spammed his rally. (laughs) And this apparently made Trump livid. Uh, when he showed up and almost nobody was there. The rally was, shall we say, lightly attended. It's not clear to me that the TikTokers doing this for the lols 
actually killed Trump's rally because it was a terrible idea to begin with in the middle of the pandemic. Right. But it, it may have contributed. Trump makes enemies easily and often, and TikTok was an enemy from, from that point forward. <laughs> That's right. He, he may have been... The, the like idea of TikTok having U.S. user data stored in China might have been on his radar. Yeah. But you have to imagine he actually started carrying way more after the Tulsa situation. Oh, yeah. No, that made it personal. Look, he is certainly looking to bash China in the lead up to the election on national security grounds and also just trade grounds and, well, race grounds too. All of it, really. Pandemic grounds. Everything you can find. They're they're a convenient target. Uh, Especially convenient because they've done a lot of bad stuff, legitimately. And there is major bipartisan concern about their behavior. I'm not saying that there's no smoke there, because there is. Mm-hmm. But he's he's really running on it. Biden is too, for what it's worth. It's one of the few remaining bipartisan issues is uh, suspicion of China. And this is the latest manifestation. It's TikTok. It is, and it might be a Microsoft subsidiary soon. <laughs> we'll see. All right, Pete. I think we're done. We went through our three stories and we will be back next week with additional elucidations. Yes, we will, Steve. Good talking to you, man. Likewise. Take care. All right. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.